Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, welcome to Dead and Roasted. What can I get you? Today has been rough for one very good reason. I ran out of Nespresso pods, so I couldn't get my usual coffee before coming to work. Uh, as soon as I'm finished sharing these stories with you about haunted schools, slow and horrible drownings, and attacks by angry spirits at a restaurant, I'm rushing over to Starbucks for a pick-me-up. Oh, uh, why don't I just drink some of Dead and Roasted's coffee? Oh, uh, well, you see, as the manager, I've seen the things we put into this coffee, and let me tell you, spider hair is better left as an afternoon treat. What I'm trying to say is, if you ask for an extra shot here, it's a lot different than an extra shot at Starbucks. Now then, enjoy these stories, and if you want me to narrate your scariest work story, send them to me at eeriecast.com submit if you want to be paid for it. But if you want to send them to me for free, go to darkstories.org. These are Tales from the Break Room. A Horrifying Shift From Silver Bullet 54 Lots of people aren't fans of hospitals. For some, it's the bare white walls and endless corridors. For others, it's the constant smell of disinfectant, chlorine, and bleach. The worst is someone who last saw someone they cared about in a hospital before losing them. For me, ever since 2007, it's because you never know what's in there, especially at night. At one point in my life, I signed up as a residential assistant. I would see what a doctor did throughout the day and write it down. This also served the purpose of helping a friend of mine who wanted to become a nurse. As an RA, I also assisted with feeding, bathing, and cleaning in the hospital as an unpaid intern. It wasn't easy, it wasn't fun, but it made me appreciate all the work that hospitals do. At one point, an old man named Lewis started asking me to tell his minister to leave him alone. I asked, what are you talking about? He told me that every other day a man dressed in black would come and speak to him at around 9pm. That was far past visiting hours and Lewis just wanted to sleep. However, he admitted that he knew the man would appear whenever a deep chill was felt in his room. He told me that the man had just visited yesterday, so the next night he would probably show up. The following day, the doctor I was shadowing had to attend a conference a few cities over and asked me not to do anything big. I would just help someone with simple tasks like cleaning or bathing and also not touch anything too expensive or dangerous. Before the doctor left, I decided not to mention the unwelcomed visitor. 
At 6 p.m., Lewis asked me to keep the man away from him. I sat down in a chair, read some magazines I'd brought, and just waited. The whole time I kept noticing Lewis looking fearfully at his doorway, even fidgeting a bit. At a quarter until nine, I was about to tell him that maybe he wouldn't show up. That's when the room suddenly got cold. I looked over at Lewis. His face had gone pale. I looked at his doorway and got the shock of my life. A man was standing there as still as a statue. He had a book, a small black hat called a beretta. He was wearing a black shirt with a white collar, black pants and black shoes. Even his book of prayers and hymns was black. I looked at Lewis and asked if he had any idea what was going on. He told me that the headwear meant he was a Catholic minister, and Lewis himself was Catholic. This minister walked over and looked down at Lewis. He didn't hold his hand, didn't comfort him, didn't offer a prayer. Instead, he just stood there. I eventually freaked out, and I told the man, you're going to need to leave. The minister looked up and shook his head, then softly said, not yet, and vanished. Five days later, Lewis died in his sleep. I asked the doctor about it, and he said, It's very sad. Lewis was a good man, always kind, polite, and happy when we were around. He was a well-liked patient. His minister even paid him a special visit on his last night at about 9 p.m. Sure, visiting hours were over, but I can't reject a man of God. I never told the doctor about the minister who was there, but I've started thinking. He said not yet. He was always looking at just Lewis, and he was with him on his last night, apparently. So maybe he wasn't a minister, or even a ghost of a minister. What if he was the Grim Reaper himself? That was the last shift I served and quit the next day. The Resident Who Never Left from Jalk, 1987. I'm a housekeeping manager in a small nursing home. Most of the time I do admin work, but if someone calls in, I work as a housekeeper in the home. On this occasion, one of the housekeepers was out with COVID, so I was working quite a bit as a housekeeper. One morning in August of 2021, I went about my normal routine. I went into this one resident's room, she was one of my favorite residents. Let's call her Miss H. Miss H was always upbeat and happy. She was also always moving about, so it was odd to see her in her room. I went into her room and did my daily cleaning. I greeted her with, Hello, Miss H. How are you today? She responded gruffly, It's awful cold and dark in here. This was odd because it was a very warm day that day. She was also in her bed under a bunch of blankets. I finished up my cleaning and I asked her if she needed anything else. She then said, I want the TV on. This was weird too because she normally never watched TV. But I did as she asked and I left the room. I began to go down the hall to the next room when I ran into one of the CNAs who asked why I was cleaning Miss H's room already. I answered that it was just my routine. She responded, Miss H died early this morning. They already came to pick up her body. I was shocked. 
She was just in there. She had just been talking to me. I went back to her room to see it was empty, but the TV was still on. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Encounters at the Roadhouse From Anonymous Back in 2010 to 2011, I worked at a restaurant called The Roadhouse. It has since closed and reopened under a new name and a new owner. But this is a collection of encounters that myself and former co-workers experienced. Some history of the building first, though. The restaurant was partially set in a former farmhouse built in the early 1800s. During the Civil War, Confederate soldiers likely stayed in the house or on the property before or after the Battle of Gettysburg. In the 1980s, the mother of the owner when I worked there bought the place and ran it until her death. She lived in an apartment above the restaurant in the house portion of the place. Now on to some encounters. There was an original staircase in the center of the restaurant, which led to the upper floor where the owner at the time lived after her mother passed. It also led to a private room, which was occasionally used for parties and the like, as well as the employee bathrooms and locker room. One day, a server was counting up her tips while sitting on these stairs, when she suddenly smelled rosewater perfume seconds before feeling fabric, as if from a large skirt brushing past her leg. An encounter I had upstairs was a little more unsettling. At the top of the stairs, you could go left to the owner's apartment, straight into the office, or left to the private room and the bathroom and locker room beyond. As I passed the private room, I glanced inside and suddenly got an uneasy feeling. Turning down the hallway, I saw this black shadow of a man in three-quarters profile staring at me with glowing red eyes. But the feeling I got from this was not evil. 
It just felt very, very annoyed. I turned around and went back to work as best I could, but for the next two weeks, I refused to go back upstairs. A bartender there had two experiences while out at the bar. The bar had seating on all four sides and took up the center of the restaurant, with three dining rooms branching off of it. The bartender said that one late afternoon, she saw a man in a tall hat and long coat enter through the back entrance, walk around the far end of the bar, and enter the dining room beyond. She knew no one was back there, and no tables had been set due to a slow day, so she went to question the man, but when she entered, no one was there. The next encounter was corroborated by the owner. The same bartender was restocking and saw a man get up from the bar and walk through the wall behind where he had been sitting. The owner was reading the paper at the time, but saw the movement from the corner of her eye. Turns out the spot he went through had formerly been where the front door was located, before the restaurant was renovated by the owner's mother. Now, when I worked at this restaurant, I worked as a prep cook in the very back of the kitchen, next to the dishwasher. Most of the encounters were in this area. The first one that happened was actually innocent, though. I had some lemon drops in my pocket, and I repeatedly felt like someone was trying to reach into my pocket for these candies. The next one, however, was far from innocent, and scared me for a while, literally and metaphorically. One day, as I was talking to the one dishwasher we had, who we affectionately called Grandma due to her age and gentle, caring personality, I felt a burning sensation on my shin. Thinking it was a bee sting due to it being summer, I brushed my leg hoping to shoo the insect away. When the burning intensified, I looked down and I was shocked at what I saw. A red line was forming down my leg. The line was puffy and red and hurt like hell. Then my skin broke open and I started to bleed. Frightened, I looked over at Grandma but she was just as shocked as I was. We told the owner, and she offered to let me go home for the day. She very much believed in the ghosts there. It was widely believed that her mother still visited the apartment and would pull small pranks moving objects. I declined her offer and got back to work after being bandaged up. Still, the owner bought me a drink at the end of my shift. The last and most memorable account also occurred in the prep area. On one of my tables, there was an old radio. Like 1989 boombox old. The antenna was one of those large, telescoping metal ones, and the volume control was a sliding stick. The radio only picked up like three stations, but the one that came in clearest was one of the local country stations. One day while working, George Strait came on the radio. But then, soon after, another male voice joined in. Turning around, there was no one there. Exiting the prep area, I saw two line cooks up on the line, but they couldn't have gotten up there so fast without me hearing them. Around then is when Grandma came back to the dish station, and I told her about what happened. As I was talking, the volume on the radio turned up on its own. Intrigued, we asked if the volume could be turned down, to no one in particular. And then the volume went down on its own. We tested it again, asking if the volume could be turned up once more. And again, it was. In disbelief, I made an offhand remark about the spirit enjoying George Strait, and the volume turned up even higher. And one last quick mention, 
The final entity I will tell you about was in the basement. I say entity because there was never a specific encounter. Rather, there was just this constant heavy feeling of being watched. Whatever was down there did not like being disturbed. The Haunted Gym From Jax I'm going to be sharing with you a classic ghost story that circled around my high school for a long time. I did not experience this story firsthand, but the person who did told me and my classmates himself. It's up to you to decide at the end of this story whether you believe him or not. However, his experience still brings me chills to this day. The story takes place at a small town middle-slash-high school in Michigan. I must have been in 6th or 7th grade when I heard it for the first time. There was a man who worked as a janitor and as a substitute teacher there. He was loved by pretty much everyone. He was an older guy, but really sweet and always kind. For privacy reasons, I'll call him Mr. Gary. One day, Mr. Gary was substituting our social studies class. It was a free day too, so we had nothing else to do, except for talk. So we all begged Mr. Gary to tell us one of his stories, since we had heard him mention encountering ghosts before. Eventually, he gave in and began telling us his most horrifying experience yet, one that he admitted he could not explain to this day. It was dark outside, most likely around midnight or some later hour, when Mr. Gary was doing his janitorial duties around the building. Since the school had closed for the day, all the doors leading to the outside were locked up. Now, Mr. Gary was the only person in the building that night. He had been absolutely sure of it. He was almost done with his work. All he had left to do was to clean the middle school gym and the locker rooms inside it. However, as Mr. Gary started to approach the gym, he began hearing something very strange. Shouting, cheering, the sound of balls bouncing and sneakers squeaking. Mr. Gary could have sworn he was hearing what sounded like a basketball game. Thinking that he had forgotten there was a game that day, and that it was earlier in the night than it seemed, Mr. Gary walked over to the gym and opened the doors. It instantly grew quiet. The gym was empty and dimly lit by only a couple of lights, and there was no one there. Now, Mr. Gary did admit that he is a very skeptical and logical person when it comes to ghost experiences, so he said he brushed it off as him hearing things or something like that. After telling himself he was just hearing things, Mr. Gary continued into the gym and began cleaning up, picking up trash such as soda cans and throwing them away in one of those large circular trash cans that were all over the school. After he finished cleaning the actual gym, he entered the girls' locker room connected to the gym and cleaned up in there as well. When he came back out and into the gym, Mr. Gary saw something absolutely terrifying. For reference, in the center of the basketball court, there is a line in the shape of a circle with a Spartan head in the center of it, since that was our school mascot. What Mr. Gary saw was soda cans. They had been neatly and perfectly lined up along the line of the circle. But there was no one there still. No one else was in the building. No one could even get in either. Mr. Gary was alone, 
and he just could not logically explain how those soda cans he had thrown away before had now magically jumped out of the trash can and lined themselves up perfectly, inhumanly, along the line of the circle. It was impossible, unexplainable. It was supernatural. That's when Mr. Gary decided that the ghost basketball game he had heard earlier and the soda cans must be connected and that there was something wrong going on here. Mr. Gary quickly finished his janitorial duties and went home. Sometime later, he called one of his friends up and explained what had happened. She laughed at him and thought he was joking and trying to scare her. When Mr. Gary asked why she thought he was lying, she explained that someone else from the area had shared a similar experience publicly, and it was even included in a portion of a Michigan ghost story book. Mr. Gary was in shock. He had no idea that this had been an experience that happened outside of himself, and he was extremely unsettled. And his friend still wouldn't believe him either. Like I said, Mr. Gary was a skeptical man of supernatural things, and whilst telling the story, he still tried to disprove his experience and write things off. He doesn't really believe in ghosts or the supernatural, and that's what makes me believe him even more, and what makes his story even more horrifying. The man had no reason to make it up whatsoever. He had no benefit or gain, and he wasn't even interested in supernatural things. He didn't believe in them. I never actually tried to find the Michigan ghost story book that the other person's encounter was recorded in, but you're welcome to try and find it yourselves. If you do, let me know. This story truly terrifies me, even now, seven and a half years later. I can't imagine the other things that school janitors might see once students and staff go home, when they're all alone in a dark and creepy building. Hotel Horrors from Shinigami0716 I'm a 36-year-old man working as a maintenance supervisor at a hotel here in Tennessee. I've always been one that has an open mind to things we do not understand. My job consists of going into rooms after customers check out, fixing any issues that may have been caused by rowdy check-ins, and just general maintenance and upkeep. Being that I work in a hotel, it goes without saying that there have been suicides, overdoses, and what have you here. One night as I was working over, things just seemed off. I got into the elevator from the lobby and pushed the button for the fourth floor. The doors closed, and I watched the numbers on the floor light hit first, second, third, and then it stopped. On the third floor, the doors opened and I was expecting someone to get on, perhaps going up or even heading out. But as the doors fully opened, there was nobody there. Shrugging it off, I hit the button for the fourth floor again. I made it to my floor okay this time and walked to the room I was currently working on. At one point, I was in the bathroom placing fixtures and I heard the door open and close. I saw a reflection walk past the bathroom mirror. It's not unusual for my boss to come into the room to check on my progress or even perhaps change some things. So as a reaction, I called out his name. But I got no answer after a few seconds. I then stepped out and looked around the corner into the living area. It was completely empty. Nothing had been moved 
and nobody was on the balcony either. Deciding I was just tired, I kept working for about another half hour and went home. The next day, I had to work over again. Same room, but I would be working on the plumbing this time. Again, after I was in that room a while, I heard the door open once more, and I heard someone walking towards the living area. Right away, I got up and went to check, just to see a completely empty room. Only this time, I heard the door open and slam shut. Being only a few steps away from the door, I got to it as fast as I could, snatched the door open, and looked both ways in the hallway to see absolutely nothing and no one. It was just dead silence out there. The following day, I had my boss check the cameras in the hallway during the times I was in that room. Turns out, nobody had ever even walked by the door during that point in time, and my boss wasn't even in the building the prior night. Needless to say, I tried to hurry the repairs in that room and leave as quickly as I could. As a few days passed by, my boss asked me to come to his office and talk to me. Figuring it was just another project, I stopped by right before the end of my shift. Once there, he then tells me that he remembered something during the day that gave him the chills. When he had first started working here ten years prior, they had an older man living in that room as an extended stay. He was always down in the office, talking to the receptionists every morning. But one week, nobody saw him for a few days. Being concerned, my boss went to the room, and that's when they found him. He had passed away in his sleep. Whether it was natural causes or any other cause remains a mystery. Now, any time I go into a room, I simply state that I mean no harm or disturbance, and I'll be on my way shortly. I've got a ton more stories similar to this. The creepiest thing about the place is that both elevators stop on the third floor only to open to nobody and in these situations, nobody has pressed the third floor button. I still don't have an answer for that one, even after our elevator maintenance company has been out to work on it over a dozen times. So maybe the problem isn't the elevator. 911 wants your emergency. From Sulfur Eyes. When I was 18, I worked as a 911 county dispatcher for Groveton, Texas, located in Trinity County. There were several small towns within this county, and they were several miles apart from the county jail where I worked a 12-hour shift from 6pm to 6am. The county jail is over 100 years old and is located next to a huge courthouse equally as old, plus the jail doubled as the sheriff's office. Now, being over the county is not the same as being over the city. When I received emergency calls, I had several different fire departments and police departments responsible for very specific areas. I worked alone, and the only relief I got was that the city of Trinity had its own dispatcher for its own PD. But once the trouble was outside the city limits, everything was mine and my deputy's problem. Now, occasionally, lines get crossed, and emergency calls would end up coming to me rather than the town dispatcher. When this happened, I took the info, remained on the line, and transferred the call and hung up the line once the other dispatcher was active. This particular call was one of those rare crossovers. Now, I saw many things on that job. I had a guy who wrecked his car by hitting a horse in the dead of 2am. 
another guy who drove off a bridge into swampy muck in an 18-wheeler because he dropped his coffee and tried to reach over and pick it up. And I've even had a man who would call the office because he swore demons were cooking meth in his attic. I've had kidnappings, domestic disputes, car wrecks, and more. I doubled as a jailer and watched over inmates as well. Nothing says fun like spending 12 hours watching inmates sleep. Back to my call. In East Texas, the weather is tropical and unpredictable at the best of times. No, not all of Texas is desert, which is hard for many to believe outside of theater screens. Anyway, we had been blasted by a series of tornadoes and rainstorms within the week. Some roads were flooded and many culverts were underwater, but I hadn't had anything too freaky happening that week, which was a relief. People get into some crazy trouble in small towns and big counties. I had just finished my rounds checking my inmates in the jail and locking up the cell doors with a heavy set of skeleton keys, which looked every bit as old as the jailhouse itself, when my 911 alarms started ringing. They were made to be heard throughout the entire jail in case I was away from my desk, so I rushed downstairs to answer the blaring noise. 911, what's your emergency? A truck has flipped over in front of my house, answered a very frightened woman. She gave me her address, which located her in the city, but when I transferred the call to the city dispatcher, I suddenly heard all kinds of terrified screaming. Chills went up my spine. The screaming was not the woman, but someone nearby her. It was muffled and frantic, clearly all wrong. Ma'am? I heard the other dispatcher. At this point, the connection was complete, and I would normally disconnect from the call. Not sure why I didn't. Oh my god, they're drowning. They can't get out, they're drowning. My heart sank, and immediately I sent every deputy into the city to assist the local PD with the situation. When my deputy arrived on scene, I was advised that this young couple were running around the muddy dirt roads having a little after-dark celebration. One moment they were laughing, and the next they couldn't stop their heavy-duty pickup from losing control. The man who was driving overcorrected, and they flipped the cab over into a deep ditch. Remember what I said about the rain? The ditch was full up with water, and the cab was crushed to the point that the doors were more like vices, trapping the young couple inside. They couldn't open the doors and the water rushed into the cab. Buckled upside down, they were unable to keep their heads above water very long. The screams I had heard in the background of the initial call were the terrified, water-muffled sputters of the couple drowning. The scene was occupied for hours. When they finally cleared the scene, my deputy had returned to the jailhouse, and with dread, I walked up to him. Did they make it out? He looked at me. Yes, but if we were one more moment... He didn't finish his sentence. I understood what he was going to say. Like I said before, normally once calls come in for the town PD, I transfer the call and let them handle the situation. But this time, I'd stayed on the line and sent my officers in first before the dispatch in town could send theirs. If I hadn't, then that one more moment it took to save that couple's lives would have been far, far too late. Even though they lived, I still hear those screams. Tales from the Break Room is a viewer-submitted podcast featuring allegedly true scary stories that happened on the way to, on the way from, or at work. 
If you want your story to be narrated on the show, send it to us at eeriecast.com submit. As of April 14th, we're paying three cents per word for stories that are approved and make it onto the show. Submission does not guarantee approval or payment. For a limited time only, PayPal only. Tales from the Break Room is an EerieCast Network original podcast hosted by Darkness Prevails. You can follow him on Twitter at Dark Prevails, and you can hear thousands more stories read by him on our other show, Unexplained Encounters. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and rate Tales from the Break Room on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also enjoy plenty more horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com.